And we're back with another episode of the Anarchist Experience, episode 285, aka year six, week 35. Coming at you this week, as always, I am your host, Mr. Rich E. Rich, along with MC. And since this is your live well, recorded call in show, uh, those numbers for you to dial are 303 335 9527 or 303 835 1301. That's 303 335 9527 or 303-835-1301. Uh, so I'm going to clear the air a little bit as we get started here. Our regular co-host uh, in, in recent weeks during the pandemic, KS, has stormed out of the studio uh, because he was unprepared to defend the positions that he was holding during the pre-show. So we talked a little bit, said, what do you want to talk about? We had a conversation um, and he went, you are misinterpreting my words and I do not want to talk to you anymore, Mr. Rich. I am leaving. Uh, you happen to be in the same, you know, domicile as KSMC. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong, but that's, that is my interpretation. That was my feelings about how that conversation went. Um, because I thought we had a pretty decent conversation, but we didn't agree on things. Um, and so, you know, KS chose to leave, to walk away, which is his prerogative rather than stick around, rehash the conversation, record it. Uh, and actually defend the positions that he held so dear uh, that he was willing to walk out for. Your thoughts? Yeah. Well, I, I don't think it was necessarily about the positions that he, he holds. I think it was just the way that conversation was going. Okay. And and he, he didn't feel comfortable, so he left. All right. So because that conversation wasn't recorded and will not be recorded, uh, we've got headlines early uh, because, I don't know, what are, what are we going to talk about if people don't want to have conversations? So headline, how Spain became a squatter's paradise uh, from the Zero Hedge. Since the burst of Spain's madcap housing bubble in 2009, squatting, the unlawful occupancy of uninhabited buildings or unused land, had become a major problem. By 2019, following a 58% surge in cases in five years, Close to 100,000 properties were occupied by Ocupas, squatters, according to estimates uh, by the Institute Cerda. Uh, the number does not include dwellings occupied by tenants who have simply stopped paying their rent, since does not count as squatting. But Spain's squatting problem could be about to explode as more and more non-paying tenants lose their homes and take to squatting. For the past six months, tenants of apartments owned by large private landlords or pr public companies have been protected from eviction by a government ban, but the ban is scheduled to expire at the end of September. Once that happens, evictions are likely to surge. As in many other countries, it's not clear how many tenants are not paying their rents since reliable sources of data do not exist. But what data does exist suggests that by late May, around 17% of tenants were not paying their rent. If that number is even half accurate, it means Spain will soon see an alarming spike in evictions, as the advocacy group Platform for Mortgage Victims has warned. Many of those who are evicted may end up squatting somewhere. Spain has become a squatter's paradise for five main reasons. Number one, its huge stock of vacant properties. Spain has a crazy number of empty homes, largely a legacy of the last housing crisis. In the last census of 2011, uh, the government registered a total of 3.4 million empty residential properties. 
equivalent to almost a third of all of Europe's empty housing stock. Since then, the number has gone down, but no one knows by how much. Many of the empty properties belong to banks' property arms, private equity funds, or wealthy investors, many of which are not interested in renting out the properties. They just hold on to them to make money or on the capital gains. Or at least they did while prices were generally rising, which stopped happening with the lockdown. Roughly 70% of the properties that were illegally occupied in 2017 belong to banks or other financial entities, according to the Institute SEDA. They include dozens of blocks of entirely abandoned buildings that were reoccupied by PAH to accommodate Spain's burgeoning ranks of homeless families. For many people, squatting is a desperate last resort, while for some it's a lifestyle choice or a political statement. Barcelona, which is ground zero of Spain's squatting phenomenon, attracts squatters from all over Europe. In recent years, more and more young locals, including many with jobs, who have been priced out of the rental market or who simply don't want to pay the inflated rents, have also turned to squatting. As a police officer from Barcelona who specialized in, in, in evicting Ocupas told me, Removing squatters from properties belonging to private equity funds is a slow, arduous process due largely to the difficulty in identifying the actual owner of the property. Blackstone, for example, operates in Spain through dozens of different subsidiaries and then tracks down a representative with whom to liaise. This takes up a huge part of our day-to-day work, he says. Number two, juicy money-making opportunities for enterprising criminals. In recent years, enterprising criminals criminal gangs have begun specializing in locating and breaking into vacant apartments. Once they find a place, they quickly change the locks and rig the apartments to the neighbor's gas, water, and electricity supplies. Then they sell, quote-unquote, the flat to a squatter or group of squatters for between 1,000 and 2,000 euros. In this way, their burgeoning black market has sprouted up. Uh, In the Raval neighborhood of Barcelona, the market is controlled by a gang from the Dominican Republic. They charge around 1,500 euros for each property sale, quote-unquote. The squatters get to live in a fully serviced apartment without having to pay rent or utilities for a period of around six months. If the flat in question is owned by a fund and the squatters don't draw undue attention to themselves and the neighbors don't uh, don't cotton on to the fact that they are effectively subsidizing their utilities consumption, they can often stay a lot longer. Number three, Spanish property loss tends to protect squatters more than the owners, particularly if the property that has been occupied is not a primary residence. If a squatter occupies a person's primary residence, he or she can be charged with breaking and entering, for which the punishment is usually a prison sentence between six months and two years. However, thanks to a change of law in 1995, if a squatter usurps a property that is not being used as a main residence, including some second homes, they are likely to be charged with occupation, squatting, for which the punishment is generally much lighter, ranging from a few hundred euro fine to a six-month prison sentence. Uh, Number four, slow judicial process. If a property that is not a primary residence is occupied illegally, the owner can take one of two paths. He can go through the civil court to try to recover the property, which means hiring a lawyer, paying court fees, and often waiting a long time. At the very least, the owner can rest assured that at the end of it, he or she will recover the property. The alternative is to take the penal route, which is free of charge and can sometimes be faster, but the outcome depends largely on the efficacy of the police officers involved. 
the only chance that they have of evicting squatters quickly is if they can prove in the in next to no time that the property has only just been occupied. But that is easier said than done, especially if they have no access to the property. More often than not, the investigation goes nowhere, leaving the property owner little option but to take the civil route. In 2018, the government tried to expedite the civil process by introducing express evictions, clause that allows affected owners to petition the courts to request the return of the property while asking the judge to adopt the precautionary measure of eviction prior to sentencing. If granted, squatters have, in theory, just a few days to either present sufficient title to remain or leave the property. In reality, it can take much longer, especially if the squatters in question are a family with children. Also, this process is not available to large-scale private property owners. Number five, Spain is no country for tenants. For decades, Spain has been a country of homeowners. Before the crisis, it had one of the highest home ownership rates in Europe of more than 80%. At the height of the housing bubble in 2003 to 2005, around 700,000 homes were built, being built a year, more than was being built in Germany, France, Italy, and the UK combined. When the housing bubble burst in 2009, over half a million households lost their homes. Many of the newly built houses were never occupied. Since then, the rental market has taken on a much bigger role, but conditions in the market are not exactly consumer-friendly. Many apartments are barely fit for purpose, yet somehow command higher rents. In some places, Barcelona, Madrid, Malaga, uh, rents have soared by over 50% in 2013, while wages have gone nowhere. It's not just the rents that are prohibitive, so too are the upfront upfront fees and deposits tenants have to pay. After the crisis, many social housing projects were sold off to international funds belonging to Wall Street giants like Goldman Sachs and Blackstone. As a result, rented social housing, which normally offers cheaper rents, now make up just 2% of all residential property in Spain, down from 3.5% in 2005. That compares to 30% in the Netherlands, 24% in Austria, 21% in Denmark, and 17% in the UK and France. Ironically, the rights of Spanish citizens to decent and adequate housing is enshrined in Article 47 of Spain's 1978 Constitution. Yet in large cities such as Barcelona, Madrid, Malaga, and Palma del Mallorca, uh, more and more local residents are finding that such a right no longer exists in the city they were born in. Unless the trend is reversed, and as long as Spain's legal system continues to protect squatters in a way that almost no country does, many more people will opt to squat. Uh, end of the article. So your thoughts on squatting in general, and I guess whether or not people have a right uh, to housing. <laughs> I don't know. That was a, that was a long article. And I, and actually at the beginning, I lost you probably six times, but oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it seems good now though. Um, I, I don't have a lot of uh, thoughts about it, but except for the idea, uh, you know, private property uh, rights are are probably a good thing to uphold. Uh, you know, whether you have a government or not, and uh, and if and if 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 those uh, ideals fail, then uh, you run into all kinds of problems. And uh, yeah. is it not the case in Spain, as laid out in the article? Because I I know we don't have expert. Uh, information or expertise in these areas, uh, aside from, you know, what we know and what we've seen elsewhere. But in the article, it seems to me uh, that the state is complicit in damaging private property rights. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, I mean, they are in the U.S. right now. I mean, you can't kick somebody out if they don't pay rent because oh, because there's a virus going around. It's like what? Right. Like what does that got to do with anything? So if private property rights are an ideal to uphold, uh, and you can't count on the state uh, to assist you in those matters, what is someone to do? I don't know. Tell me. <laughs> I don't know. That's the thing. Like what? You know, if it's it's a weird it's a weird situation. Right, like I'm, I'm not a big fan of of using the state to solve problems, of calling nine one one to you know to use state violence on people, um, even though I think some people you know choose that route. Like I, I prefer not. Like I was never the one you know as a child, uh, you know to to tattle on anybody. Right, like if you did something to me, I would do something back right away, and then I would get in trouble, and I was fine with that. Like I got in trouble a lot for retaliation. Um, but it's cause I didn't like, I can handle this, right? You do something to me. I do something back. If you're going to go run and cry to the state, uh, or the teacher or whomever, that's kind of on you. Right. But you know, at least I'm not being a little bitch. Um, but it's a weird thing to do when the punishment is now so severe, right? When it's a life or death situation, um, it's hard to say, well, just deal with it on your own, knowing full well that the other party will use state violence against you. You're almost forced, coerced uh, into into using state violence um, in lieu of retaliation to yourself. And I don't I don't like it that way. Like for me, if someone's if someone's squatting in your house, well you just go throw them out, right? <laughs> if if they don't want to leave peacefully, uh, they can leave violently, right? As, you know, it's, it's yeah. the, the easiest way I can say. That's what I've considered uh, I, I rented out my condo uh, and I and I and I didn't even write a contract I told them you know you, you pay on time or I kick you out and they paid you know on time every every month never missed a payment never a late day um, they were a great family to have uh, renting from me they took care of my place um, but if they didn't um, you know my my plan was to, you know, wait till they go to work and go to school and break in and throw all their stuff out and uh, they've got nothing. They don't have a contract. Um, there's stuff on the street and <laughs> that's about it. And so, uh, yeah, of course, at that point, the state would probably come and say, why, why is all this stuff on the street? And I'd be like, well, this is my house and somebody was in it and now they're not. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I, I, you know, I'd probably go to jail at that point. Um, probably because that's not the way the state wants you to do it. But um, that's probably what you know what I would have done. And I think you have uh, the I mean, moral right to do it that way. Right. But um, it, you know, say I didn't do that. That you know, my my other alternative is just to uh, you know stop making my payment on the property and uh, let the bank have it and let the let them go through the government to kick them out um you know that would be less preferable uh, because then i wouldn't own the property anymore yeah um you would be giving up so, your property to you know to pass off the pro the payment for solving the problem would be like the cost of the, the property at that point right right so uh, fortunately for me everything worked out um and uh you know <laughs> I, I mean i can't it's like, it's like I say, I, that's what, that's what I would do is kick them out. But that, I mean, I would have to be, you know, pretty desperate at that point to do that. 
in my opinion. So I don't know if I would. I wasn't tested. Right. Uh, so uh, so I didn't have to do that. But I mean, that's that's the thought process that I was going through is like, well, I, I would have to do it. And, <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah, or or just lose the property. So, was, you know, would you have acted options. differently during uh, COVID season? Um, wow. Mm, I can say maybe because, well, I, like I said, okay. I, I'm, I'm not actually being tested. So, you know, right. what, would I hope to have the courage to be able to throw somebody out in, in the middle of COVID? I would, I'd probably say yes, but, uh, it, I think it adds, you know, one more wrinkle on the problem for okay. sure. I mean, I definitely, I would definitely think twice about it for sure. <laughs> See, and I don't, okay. So fair. I don't know if I, I don't know if I would use the term courage. So f- for me, right. Um, I manage a storage facility as my regular job, right? It's not my property, but I'm responsible for it. Um, the owner eventually gets to make all, you know, final decisions on what he wants to do with his property. Um, and I do my best to kind of be the intermediary between the owner who, you know, can be just downright mean on occasions, um, and providing good customer service and customer support for people. So at the beginning of COVID, right, there was like a mass exodus from the property. People were just moving out. So I'm like, I'm not low on vacancies uh, by any stretch of the imagination, right? Like if, you, if you came to my place and was like, ah, I want to rent a, a rent unit, I've got one available for you. So when people said like, um, you know, hey, this whole COVID thing happened, I got laid off. Uh, I'm not getting my hours. Uh, my unemployment check hasn't come yet. Uh, I did my best to cover for them so that they wouldn't go through the auction process and lose all their stuff. Because to me, the COVID situation was a temporary financial setback and wasn't worth losing good customers over, especially when I had the, you know, the vacancies to cover it. So difference in your case, if, you know, if if your tenant during COVID or whatever, wasn't paying the rent, uh, there's like you're losing money and there's likelihood that you could find someone who could afford the rent to take their place. Right. I mean, so it's a little bit of a different situation. Um, but to me, I felt a little bit more compassion towards people who, you know, were through state mandates and state diktats, right. You know, uh, forced to not be productive members of society. I go, well, I can't, you know, I, my hands are kind of tied, but I, here's what I can do. So then every, you know, a handful of customers ended up going on, you know, payment plans, right? Uh, As long as you're paying me something, right, I can forestall the auction process, right? And I can forestall it as long as I'm getting, you know, a weekly payment, even if it doesn't cover the rent, you're still going to be charged fees at the end of it all, but you won't lose your stuff. And when things get back to normal, you can pick up the pace until you're caught up, right? Like I felt that that was... uh, the the right thing to do uh in order to satisfy customers and also not you know not get the ire of the owner involved because he's like 30 days late throw them out already you know that that was that was his like instructions at the beginning of covid it was like i don't care if it's whatever it is you know if they don't pay they gotta go like all right well all right so then so you know small payment plans was my way to to make that intermediary step Uh, i did have one customer and this is still ongoing, who wasn't ba- wasn't going to be able to make the payments um, 
you know, as recently as a couple of weeks ago, decided that there was no way that he was going to be able to catch up on the payments. Um, you know, he's, he's a private contractor, right? Maintenance guy, whatever. And his position was basically like, I'm not getting any work, right? Like, you know, this, this COVID thing hits, no one's hiring a maintenance guy. I can't get customers myself. I'm thinking about closing down my business. And I went, okay, that's interesting news. What do you plan on doing, you know, to, to pay down this rent then, you know, like if you, if you're not working, he's like, well, I get my social security check, you know, that's pretty regular. And I go, well, is that going to be enough? Like, can you start? And he went, no, it won't be, <coughs> excuse me. And I went, well, you're not, you're not really selling yourself, you know, <laughs> you're not really making a good case here, buddy. Uh, cause I need, I need to be able to make the excuse that yes, you got something lined up and you will be making payments going forward. But if you're telling me you don't have the money and you're not going to be able to make payments going forward, well, my hands are kind of tied at that point. Uh, and then, you know, he offered the work trade. Well, maybe you've got stuff around the property that I can do. I went, that's a great idea. Uh, so I, I, you know, I ran that up my chain of command. Um, and anyway, once it got to the owner, the owner went, nope, kick him out, lock him out, cut his lock, the inventory, the stuff he's got, he is out of here. I went, wow, that's rough. You know, so I broke the news to the customer, um, you know, went through that process. And then uh, a couple of days ago, the owner like had a change of heart. Not sure what caused it, but the owner had a change of heart. Went, you know what? Maybe we can give this guy some work to do. Uh, Honestly, I I think it was because the work that could be done, we got a quote from a a reputable agency and the quote was way too expensive. So the owner went like, well, if this guy can do that, you know, we can, we can, we can get the repairs and the work done uh, at basically zero cost. (laughs) So that was, you know, so I go back to the guy and go, all right, we've all of a sudden we've got work for you, um, type of thing. So it's, I feel that it's always nice to be, it's, 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 I, I'm going to say compassionate again, compassionate to try to work with those people, right? Like your tenants who have been good tenants forever, right? If they fell on hard times because they were forced to not work because of state mandates, right? As long as, you know, as, as long as you weren't going to lose the property to the bank because of it, right? Like, yeah, I've, you've got savings, right? And I'm not saying you do just, for example, if you did have savings uh, and you could cover, well then, yeah, maybe, maybe, you know, throw them a bone for being good customers for so long and say like, well, it's not absolved. You still owe the money, but, and, and because hopefully this COVID thing is going to wrap up sooner rather than later. When it does start to wrap up, uh, you can go ahead and start paying that down over a longer period of time, right? Even, you know, even the, the at the beginning when they, well, uh, you know, uh, eviction moratorium and mortgage moratorium and, you know, whatever. And, well, if they're going to run all of that, you know, if, if at every level no one can get anything done, you know, I said, like, just tack it all on the back end, right? Like your, your 60-month bank loan or, you know, 30-year loan or whatever becomes... 31 years instead, right? And you, 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 you get the, you know, the uh, deferment for however long COVID is, and you just tack that all onto the back end and everyone down the chain of chain just gets paid off later kind of a thing. So that, that was my thoughts when, it, you know, and especially when it comes to like, uh, to tie this back in the article squatters, right? If they, if they can pay, uh, then maybe you just have a new tenant, right? Otherwise get out, get out now. And since we didn't have an agreement on paper or otherwise, which is a whole nother issue, because I'm like, I'm a big fan, 
generally of contracts. And I know that there are people that argue the opposing position. Um, so let me ask you, did, do you find it beneficial to have agreements, undocumented agreements, as opposed to, uh, you know, contracted obligations? Um, my rationale at the time, which I'm not saying is right, was that if they have a contract, then they have the state's backing, uh, you know, to, to live there. Uh, at least they have something on paper that says they have the right to live there. And if they don't have a contract, uh, then they don't have a right to be there. Um, now, that's, it's probably wrong. Uh, but that was my rationale at the time. Okay. You know, well, wait, so, okay. so when you say so what, wrong, are you saying morally wrong, ethically wrong, or uh, just legally wrong? Because it's well, le- legally wrong. Because okay. the way I see it now is, if if they can prove that they were living there, then the state will back them as saying that that's their home, regardless of whether or ha- not they had documentation. Right. Right. Um, and so they would still have a, a legal standing to be in there uh, with the government. Uh, just because, well, that was where they were living. Um, it's not necessarily squatting because they were paying me rent and they could probably prove that. Especially if they so, were paying with checks, you know, clear right, checks, right. cancel checks, whatever. So, you know, even though there's no contract, and but the, there's still legal uh, things you have to do to kick people out of your home. Like you have to give them, you know, 60 days notice or something like that. Yeah, I think whatever it's 60 it days. Yeah. I think I got 45 when my lease was terminated in Hawaii. So I don't know. Right. Yeah. I think it's 60, but it might be 45. I was glad it was more than 30, but I'd like, I'm going to get this done in 30 anyway. 30 would be acceptable. Um, But, uh, you know, if you're actually trying to figure out what the law is, it might be 60. It might be 45. I don't know. Man, you say acceptable until you're under the gun. Right. Well, no, that's true. Especially, you know, if you're, if you're working full time and, uh, you've got family and, and, you know, and there's a lot of things to figure out. That's that I'm not saying that's, it's not tough. Yeah. Uh, but it's something, you know, it's like, right. (laughs) There's a lot of things that got to get figured out real early on, especially if you like got to put in, you know, an application at a new place and they're going to run all of their paperwork and then get back to you. But also, you know, you could, say no i don't agree with that and in the contract you could say oh i want i want 120 20 days notice or right. a year notice or whatever it is that yeah. you want to put in the contract and that's the that's the advantage of the contract is that you can make the rules and you don't have to you know worry about what the state's rules are you know so much but when the state's supposed to be an enforcer of those contracts right there's some obligation on on their part somewhere yeah, you you would hope but you would hope if if they're good if they're gonna do something right at least so, at least on a private contract so the the state's rules over over rule uh, contracts a lot of times and so if you say oh I only need one day uh, notice in the contract but then the state says you have to have thirty then you still have to have thirty and it's same thing with with marriage laws which is funny because there's two hundred plus years of uh, divorce laws. Uh, on on the books and then they're constantly changing and and somehow the version we have right now is the one we should follow it's like yeah but they're going to change next month and the month after that and the, it's like they're constantly changing so how can the law be right if it's it's never been right <laughs> you know it's yeah it's, been... ever, it's ever changing there's, <laughs> there's no way to like pinpoint a you know like yeah. science right science is supposed to be ever changing and yet, uh, for, for everything that they want done, like the science is settled. This is right. this is law now. So, uh, 
Yeah, so that's that's one of the reasons why I don't like law and lawyers because they think that that type of mentality is is beneficial. You know, oh, we've got two hundred years of history of changing these rules. It's like that's that's not interesting. That that just means you guys suck at your job. You know, you haven't figured it out yet. Right. So uh, I, with with regards to private property, it's it's another interesting thing um, in the COVID debate now because of the whole mask mandate thing, right? And I've seen a post from um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna call him out by name uh, here, but who who would who would describe as he I think he is self described as an anarchist, definitely has libertarian tendencies um, for most things. But he put, you know, he posted, he shared something from another source that basically said, like, uh, private companies, stores do not have the right to force you to wear a mask. And if they're forcing you to wear a mask, all you got to do is call up the sheriff's office. And I went, oh, no. Since when are, since when do anarchists advocate for, like, state intervention to override private property requests? You know what I mean? Like, it's weird. Um. Uh, even, even you know, the, the story that I shared last week of my ventures into the Apple store, right? Like full compliance, right? Their property, I'm visiting. I want, I'm choosing to do business with them. They can choose to do business with me. Um, and if that's what they want, then so be it. Um, but at the same time, right? I, I also called Apple corporate this week. But hey, I just want to know what the real policy on this is because, uh, I feel like I have maybe been a victim of targeted harassment at one of your stores. Um, unfortunately, I only got to like tech support who like said he could help me. Um, and when I explained to him that, you know, I had this, you know, super high density polyethylene plastic face mask that covered eyes, nose and mouth and was told not to wear uh, in, in exchange for this little paper thing that they handed at the door. He's like, yeah, that store guy probably shouldn't have done that. Um, I couldn't get anything in writing because apparently Apple doesn't have an official corporate policy on the matter. Uh, what they do have is a website that shows you how, if you're going to make your own face mask, like some of the guidelines that you can follow to make your own. And he's like, well, you know, have this ready and say like, well, these are the Apple guidelines and the mask that I choose to wear far exceeds the guidelines and therefore should be accepted. Um, but he said that the Apple stores basically follow state and local guidelines. And I go, well, then, it, then no mask is required because the city that he's in doesn't have a mask mandate. It's like, it's not mandated. You know, you can walk around the mall without a mask. And then as soon as you get to the Apple store, you got to put this dumb, this dumb one on. Uh, so he said, well, try that, you know, and if I happen to go back to the Apple store, yeah, maybe I'll give it a shot. Um, but I also said, if he harasses me again, you know, if I say like, hey, I, this is the, this is the Apple thing. For the face mask, mine exceeds it. You know, to whom do I contact uh, to file an official complaint? Because I don't want to do that now. Maybe he just misunderstood. Let's set him straight first. Um, so yeah. So when I, you know, my point is that when I go to a private establishment, um, regardless of what their rules are, right, I am obligated to comply or take my business elsewhere. Now, obviously. My mask goes above and beyond, which is why I call it the full compliance mask. It's definitely uh, an fu to the whole mask mandate, right? Which is which is why I got it to to be in compliance with with uh, with private property rules, but also by you know 
displaying my disagreement and displeasure towards those requirements. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Right. Like I'll I'll wear I will wear a mask, but I will wear the mask that you would not want me to wear. But it's full fully compliant with what you're asking. Whereas I know some people, uh, you know, who just won't shop there. Right. I will I will take my business elsewhere. Um, and the difficulty right now with everything going on is I feel like the walls are closing in on those people, right? They're, they're running out of places where they're going to be able to shop legitimately, uh, without a mask as, as more and more places require it, mandate it, you know, enforce it even, um, and well then what are you going to do? Right. And, I, and the answer right now is ah, we have no idea what we're going to do. Right. It's we're, we're hoping to, we're hoping that with enough pushback, this won't get to that point. I go, well, I'm pushing back with you, you know, but, but who knows, but it's very bizarre to see anarchist, uh, libertarians advocate for the use of state force, right? Call the sheriff's offices. They, if they force you to wear a mask, um, even another dude that I, you know, I, um, I met him in person. He came up for pork fest. I didn't go to pork fest, but I, I met him before pork fest, um, from California. And he posted a video, uh, earlier today, I guess, of him going to, a like a sporting goods store, secondhand sporting goods store. And apparently, you know, without his mask on, cause that's, you know, that's his activism right now. Uh, but in the video, he was asked like multiple times to leave, you know, it just, sir, you're not wearing a mask. Will you please leave? Right. Multiple times. And he, he continues to have this conversation with the clerks about how he's in the process of leaving without ever actually leaving. Right. He's, he just want he's standing there, you know, berating them, uh, for the mask policy, but he had already been asked to leave. So it's hard. It's hard for me to take his side, right. When he can protest out in front of the store on pri on public property, right. With his bullhorn and shout whatever he wants and tell everyone how stupid the masks are and how in ineffective the masks are and, and whatever. And, and don't come into this store, you know, through his megaphone. Uh, because they require the masks and you should not have to do that. Um, but it's hard for me to take his side when he's actively in the store being asked multiple times to leave. Uh, you know, one dude got a little bit aggressive with him. Fine. Uh, but the dude who was mainly on camera, the store clerk who was mainly on camera, was probably as polite as you can be, as affirmative as you can be, um, with a guy who's just refusing to comply and refusing to leave. Right private property uh sir we've asked you to leave and then if you get violently tossed out the door you were warned like i would not have a problem with that even if i disagree with the mask laws even if i disagree with the mask mandates even if i disagree with the mask policies they get to make the rules and if you don't comply with the rules and you don't wish to comply with the rules and you're asked to leave nicely multiple times yeah get wrecked get punched in the face, get thrown onto the pavement, you know, and that's the end of it. <laughs> because, because that's the, pri that's the essence of private property. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. And I, I think, you know, if, if you're looking for a, a real solution to the world's problems, then uh, in-depth training on what private property is and, and how to respond to it and, how to protect it and all those things should be, you know, part of the grade school. Um, but it won't be in the government grade school. Well, that's true. So I mean, it, yeah, there's, there's, there, there's a, uh, you know, a lack of, uh, 
common sense. Uh, I mean, if common sense was common, then uh. <laughs> yeah, and we then we'd all have it. All right, moving on. How government-owned streets prevent effective law enforcement uh, from the Mises Wire. You're right. To, uh, here we go. See more more property issues. Your right to swing your arm ends where another person's nose begins. While this widely attributed quote sounds ostensibly libertarian in terms of respecting self-ownership, it's actually quite misleading. One need not abide some lunatic swinging his arms about near one's face, being forced to tolerate it as long as no physical contact is made. Rather, property owners may establish rules regarding the conduct of those who choose to enter their property, including prohibitions against swinging arms near other people's faces. Individuals may then decide what rules they are willing to tolerate when they enter another's property, and competition between property owners enables them to determine what bundle of rulers, uh, excuse me, what bundle of rules various consumers prefer. This is not the case on so-called public property. Uh, that is, land areas controlled by the state, such as streets, roads, parks, government buildings, even if that state were perfectly constrained by written constitution, in the structure of liberty, Randy Barnett articulates this point well, quote, a society that includes extensive public property holdings is faced with what might be called a dilemma of vulnerability. Since governments enjoy privileges denied their citizens and are subject to few of the economic constraints of private institutions, their citizens are forever vulnerable to governmental tyranny. Therefore, freedom can only be preserved by denying government policy, uh, excuse me, by denying government police agencies the right to regulate public property with the same discretion according, accorded private property owners. Yet steps to protect society from the government also serve to make citizens more vulnerable to criminally inclined persons by providing such persons with a greater opportunity for a safe haven on the public streets and sidewalks and in the parks, unquote. Barnett further notes that no one can be barred from public spaces controlled by the states. There is free access for everyone even convicted criminals, as long as they have served their sentences. Anyone must be tolerated up until the point they violate the criminal code. Some libertarians may think this is well and good, since it limits the police's authority to intervene. However, as Barnett explains, this leads to a trade-off. We may be more free from arbitrary police enforcement, but we are also more vulnerable to victimization. Such constitutional constraints are not only restrictions on the police, but on everyone else as well. Rules that would be enforced if public property were in the private domain cannot be enforced by private actors. In this sense, on public property, the rules are, of conduct are socialized. The unpleasantries of witnessing activities that might otherwise be prohibited on private property uh, depending on the intended purpose of that property, such as solicitation, panhandling, or protesting, must be tolerated on public property. The police are legally constrained in enforcing rules against such activities as they are constitutionally protected or laws prohibiting them have been voided for vagueness by the U.S. Supreme Court. The manifestation of this problem are viscerally illustrated in the ongoing mostly peaceful protests slash riots. While the U.S. Supreme Court has opined that local governments are constitutionally imposed for some restrictions, such as requiring a permit if certain conditions are met, 
Protesters are to be otherwise free to assemble, hold their signs, and chant. They are not free, however, to engage in the acts associated with rioting, such as vandalism, looting, arson, uh, among other crimes. As such, protesting on public property is analogous to the supposed right of someone to swing their arms as long as they don't hit someone in the face. It must be tolerated up to the point it becomes a riot. This presents a problem for police. They are prohibited from interfering with masses of people apparently peacefully assembling. But once those masses are assembled, they are difficult to contain after they decide they want to hit another person's nose by rioting. Owners of shops and small businesses adjacent to the state-owned streets where mobs are allowed to gather are simply out of luck in terms of preventing such assemblies or receiving compensation from the state for failing to prevent such foreseeable consequences, uh, though the lack of compensation may change if lawsuits in Seattle, among other cities, are successful. If violent mobs were allowed to assemble on private property with the sim similarly predictable outcome of the destruction of neighbors' property, would we not consider the property owner who has allowed it to be the least partially liable? Would it not also be reasonable for neighboring property owners to seek an injunction of if this behavior continued night after night? A private property owner is not bound by the First Amendment of the Constitution. They may exclude protesters no matter how peaceful they are. In light of these considerations, the fact that riots are able to continue month after month would likely be impossible but for the institution of public property. If the streets where mobs, if the streets where the mob assembles were privately owned, assemblies that would likely result in property damage or even inconvenience for everyday people would be prevented from gathering together in the first place. Protesters blocking the streets as well as the vehicle protester collision resulting from them would become a thing of the past. Property owners would be able to nip riots in the bud by preventing masses of people intent on rioting from assembling. There would be little need for masses of riot police flanked by armored vehicles from war zones, staring down mobs of protesters waiting for them to cross the line so that pepper spray, rubber bullets, and batons can legally be unleashed on them. This is yet another example of why privatization of streets is in the interest for reasons of police reform alone. Indeed, riots themselves are partially responsible for the militarization of police. The failure of government policing to secure the streets not only leaves us more vulnerable to criminal victimization, but government is worse than useless when they criminalize the private, uh, the private defense of property. Taking back the streets ought to mean privatizing them and enabling private property owners to defend their property. This would be the surest way to end the riots. All right, your end of the article. Your thoughts on, I guess, rioting, or can you defend your private property uh, without blocking off public transfer? Uh, you know, people people going about their business on the public ways. Mm, wow, I don't know. <laughs> I guess, uh, yeah, pri privatize your street. Um, go for it. I'm a, I'm all in favor of that. Well, yes, definitely yes. But with, with regards to private property, right, are, are they saying that the only way that you can defend your private property is through, through government means, right? I, 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 you know, recall back to the, you know. The, well, of course, the that's, what the, that's, that's what the state wants you to think. Right. But I go back to, you know, the Rodney King riots and, you know, the pictures of the rooftop Koreans, right? Mm -hmm. you, you can riot in the streets, but if you get too close to my shop, you're going to get shot, right? Like, I don't, you know, I don't think that there was a problem with that. 
Um, we talked about the Kenosha thing some weeks ago, and I don't want to rehash that whole thing or get into the, the nitty gritty of that. But what I see a lot now, um, you know, from, from people who disagree with the shooter is that he, he shot these people in defense of property, right? Like the, the reason people died, uh, in Kenosha was because this shooter, uh, held private property to be more valuable than human life. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's a twist, but it's, it's very much so a twist because he wasn't defending property as he was running away from his attackers. Right. He was defending so, his own, his, his own person. That, that goes back to what I've, I've mentioned this before. And from the left wing position, the, the fact that he brought a gun there, uh, meant that he was willing to shoot somebody over private property, uh, because, he wouldn't be able to defend the private property if he didn't have a gun. And so that's what the issue is now. The, the issue is gun and shooting people over whatever they plan on doing. And right. And so to them, he, he, he should have known, and which is true, he did know, that they were going to destroy private property. And he should have just been like, well, it's not worth me killing somebody over, so I'll just let them do it. Sure, and that's the leftist mentality, which is it's insane. You can't let somebody destroy somebody's business uh, because th they're not willing to bring a gun, and and of course he was willing to bring a gun, and he you know he did try to put out a dumpster fire, yeah, and uh, and then he was chased for that. So, right, but um, he didn't shoot the people because they set the dumpster on fire. No, I'm t I'm telling you the left wing ideology yeah. no i get it that that's that's their rationality is that yeah. he sh he he knew there was a danger of somebody dying if he brought the gun so he shouldn't have brought the gun that's what that's what their mentality is it's wrong okay. but that's they're completely wrong yeah even even in the pre-incident interview right he said i'm here as a medic but i have my weapon because i know i might be going into dangerous areas mm -hmm. right as a medic to assist people medically i will be putting myself in harm's way and so I have this rifle to defend myself, right? Mm -hmm. That that was, you know, not verbatim, but that's the gist of what he said prior to the incident. Yeah. He didn't, in the interview, he didn't say like, I brought this rifle just in case they set the gas station on fire. I'm going to pop me some commies. And he's like, no, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm using it for my personal self-defense. Um, but, but I think he was there more than just to be a medic. He was, he and, and his and his mind was probably there to keep the peace and, and, and putting out a dumpster dump, dumpster fire at the gas station was part of that uh, thought process. Probably. I wouldn't even disagree with that. Right. Yeah. If they're allowed to set the dumpster on fire, he's certainly allowed to put it out. Mm -hmm. Right. It's, it wasn't their dumpster. Right. So whatever. So my point is that the, 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 it wasn't even defense. It wasn't even a defense of property that got him into that. But in the case of you know the rooftop Koreans, it was absolutely in defense of property. Yeah, but uh, I think defensive property was probably part of the thought process for Kenosha. And, yeah, and okay, I mean, like I said, it's some speculation there, but basically, what what he knew before this was going on was that there was going to be uh, violent uh, protests, rioting, and destruction of property. And he chose to go to be involved in that. Now, whether it's just to be a medic or not, um, that's that's up for debate. But 
he what he actually did was put out a dumpster fire. So, yeah. uh, I and then defend his his life against I, an attack. I I assume he was there, uh, not just to be a medic, but to reduce the damage from the riots and the protesting. Okay. Uh, and and so it's a little bit more broad. He didn't say that on camera, but that's probably the mentality. I mean, that it's a. Uh, and my only problem with it is that I don't I don't know if anybody asked him to do that, like from from Kenosha. Um, I don't know if anybody if if the maybe it's just a whole bunch of leftists that live in Kenosha and they don't care about the property being damaged. That's probably wrong, but um, if if somebody's not asking him to go do it, then like it's not it's not really any of your business. Maybe the people there uh, don't would would rather uh, their property burn. And and nobody get shot. For me, I'm like, go ahead, come. You know, uh, if somebody's destroying property, I don't care if they get shot. You know, right. And I think I think this is uh, that part of it is. I don't know if I want to call it a limitation. I'll, I'll say it's an aspect uh, of of libertarian defensive theory. Right. Like you're you're allowed to defend yourself your property your mm-hmm. labor but you can also act in agency on behalf of someone else um provided that they've asked you for it right like i yeah. i if i if i'm defending you know if i'm defending my home my castle whatever i can hire guards to act on my behalf right mm-hmm. and if, if the guards do something in agency for me well then theoretically the responsibility falls back upon me because they were acting on my behalf Right. Unless unless it's a you know gross violation of the law. But if if they stop a burglar from coming in that I would have chosen to stop on my own, they are acting in agency for me. So I, I understand that with the with the, with Cal Rittenhouse in Kenosha, it is not clear um, on whose behalf he was acting in agency. Right. Like whose right. property and it, and it was he defend? And it wasn't just him. As far as I know, he was with a, a group of people. That right. were that, and I and I don't know if they had a like a mission statement or whatever, but uh, I know it was it was in retaliation uh, of the the threat of uh, violence uh, happening in that area. So. Right. So if and and so again, so we're like we're two or three levels away from the actual incident at that point, because again, the the actual incident. Sure, he put out a dumpster fire, right? But he was, and he was attacked for putting out a dumpster fire, but he wasn't attacked by the owners of the dumpster, right? It's not like, it's not like they were chasing him down in also in agency of the dumpster owner who would have preferred that his Mm -hmm. dumpster be set on fire. Like that's a stretch. That's hard. That would be hard to prove. So the actual act of, you know, shooting three people or three or four people was in defense of his own life, regardless of what his initial reason for being there was. Yeah, I mean that should be obvious to anybody except a, an extreme leftist. It should be, um, and the you know the I know the, the discussion that I'm having with uh, friends at dinner here that I know you don't want to have, so we won't get into it. Is you know revolves around the whole like you know minor carrying a gun thing, um, because that's the 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 entirety of the state's case is going to hinge on that aspect of the story. Mm-hmm. So if if you want to know what that is you know f- talk to me privately. Or email the show, 
or whatever. But I, MC, I know, does not want to discuss that aspect of it, so we won't get into that. Yeah, but no, I just don't care about it. You can you can say whatever you want to say about it. I just, I just, well, it's it's kind of like okay, this this is a, a bigger issue, uh, you know, to to widen the scope of thought here. It's like I don't really care what the laws are. Um, people can make good decisions or bad decisions on their own without needing a law. Um, if if you don't believe that, then what you what you believe is that uh, the 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 you know government is a religious institution, and and you you are uh, uh, what do you call it? <laughs> um, a zealot you, for the state. Yeah, yeah, a zealot for the state. You worship the state, and 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 I don't. I don't think that's where uh, you know right and wrong comes from. So. Um, I don't need the the law to tell me whether or not right. a seventeen year old can walk around with a gun or not. Right. Understood. I completely get that. Right. So so from even the conversations that I'm having, you know, with with friends here, right? Like on in, on that aspect of it, we're on the same page. Morality is not derived from the law. You can do what you want based on whatever moral or ethical system that you you know uh, uh, adhere to. However, in this particular case, right, if we want to talk about, oh, the fantasy land of libertarians versus the hard-nosed reality of life on planet Earth as it is right now, he's not going to be judged, uh, on, or, or this particular situation is not going to be judged on his personal moral and ethical position, True. right? It's going to be judged on the law. Yeah. And so and when I, we're talking and about I, like, and I, and I don't even really care about the, the outcome so much. There's, there's you know lots of injustice done by government and the laws and you know i hope i hope he uh, does not get put away but i mean if if he does that's like it's it's not just a failure of government it's a failure of uh you know everybody that makes makes it up and and and, and votes and 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 uh, pays taxes and tribute to it and and worships the state and their stupid laws so got it again no disagreement here but if you know if 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 you want to see justice served, right? If if the out the 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 judicious outcome for me is that he gets cleared of all charges, yeah. right? That's my but, based on all the evidence. Even that beyond I've seen, that, even even beyond that, he sh- he shouldn't even be in jail at all. They should they should have looked at it and been like, oh yeah, like that's it's pretty obvious that <laughs> you know what happened and agree and uh we're you know maybe we'll have a court case but uh you're free to go until then because you know you're you're probably not going to shoot random people a- agreed as well uh that that being said right a- initially he was willing to turn himself in right mm-hmm. he's a he's a, he's a, from from all accounts he's a by the books boot licking cop supporting right wing right. whatever right so we have a, I shot three people arrest me and then let's handle this the right way mm-hmm. uh, and then they went no we don't want to arrest you and then he went home right and mm-hmm. the left got outraged because he crossed he crossed over a state border to, mm-hmm. to 15 minutes away ran for felonious uh whatever whatever uh, oh i can't think of the word escaped from the scene or whatever um and had to be like extradited back you know to to, to, <laughs> to the state 15 minutes away it, it was it, it was it was a nonsense position it was ridiculous but um what i'm saying is the the state's the prosecution's argument of whether or not this was self defense is going to hinge on whether or not 
he was already in commission of a felony by carrying a gun under the age of 18, right? I don't care. I agree with you that he has the moral, ethical, um, you know, uh, ability to do so, right? If, if, if you're a human I mean, being. I mean, we don't even believe in the, the whole, you know, state line thing. So it's like imaginary right. lines make a difference. Okay. Right. Apparently so. <laughs> imaginary lines make a difference. Uh, um, you know, age makes a difference. Arbitrary age makes a difference. No, uh, you're born. You you have the natural, God-given right to defend yourself against all encroachment. Whether or not you have the ability to do so uh, is is up for debate. Um, whether or not you you know have the the legal right to do so, we can discuss all day. Um, but I don't care how old you are. Um, if you're getting aggressed against you have the moral and ethical right to defend yourself, which he did in this case. However, if he does get put away for murdering three people, it will be because he was under the age of 18 uh, carrying a firearm, right? Because they'll say he's in commission of a felony already and it's, you know, longstanding judicial process, procedure, whatever, uh, where you cannot claim self-defense while in commission of a felony, Right. That's what the whole yeah. case will hang up on. But that, but it's so funny because that, even though they say you cannot claim self-defense, I would still claim self-defense because that's what it was. doesn't matter what the law says. Un- understood. <laughs> and again, I will agree. We, we, I will buy you a beer and agree with you all night long on that aspect of it, right? But if you know that the, the prosecution is going to hang their case on felony in commission, uh, uh, individual yeah. in commission of a felony, uh, cannot claim self-defense. It would be foolish to bring up a self-defense argument. Maybe. I don't case. know. I, but I would, I, I might hang for it, but okay. I would still say that's what I did. You know? Okay. Like, <laughs> and I would do that in the press. And, and the I thing is, that, you know, at, at the very, at the bare minimum, you know, whatever, the, whatever they decide the laws think they say, um, at least he gets a jury trial. And, you know, jury notification, if they know about it, 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 it's a thing. If they don't know about it, then they're idiots and, you know, the country deserves to burn. That would be, that would be, that would be an important aspect of it. Well, if you're going to, if you're going to use a self-defense defense defense, uh, against a felony in commission, uh, individual in commission of a felony prosecution, right, then the only way you're going to get off is jury notification or if you plant that seed Mm -hmm. in the jury's head. But if, right. if if you if you plan your whole defense on that, I would say that's that's folly on the attorney's yeah. part because you know you're you're gonna get this kid killed. Yeah. But like I said, I'm I'm not a lawyer. I don't really care about the law. Um, I you know I would do what's right, or I would at least tell them to do what's right. And if and if and if, and if uh, what's his name uh, Kyle, um, you know, believes in doing the right thing, which he probably doesn't because he's a status you know uh, bootlicker anyway. Um, then. If he was going to do what's right, he would claim self-defense, no matter what. Okay, and I and again, this is where I would disagree. And he probably won't. He probably won't. <laughs> he sh- well, if he if he's trying to win the case, he shouldn't, right? If he's trying, to, that's what if I'm he's, saying. If, and, if, he's, if he's trying and, to be a martyr, all, but that's the thing. All he doesn't he doesn't care about doing. It. I don't think. Maybe he does. I don't know. But if if, if what I think is going to happen is he's going to be like, oh well, I trust the system. I'll I'll fight it the way that the government wants me to fight it, and he'll do that. 
Yeah, then because he's, he's going to go to jail. Because he's a bootlicker. Okay. But he might not be. He's not a total bootlicker because he, he went out, you know, he's not a cop. He's not paid by the state to go out and defend private property. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, he's, he's, he's at least got the ability to act as an individual, even though he was, you know, right. with other people. But, um, if I knew yeah, him he, better, I might give him the benefit of doubt and say misguided sure. youth, right? Because he wants to do what's good. He wants to do what's right. He wants to clean up the neighborhood and protect property. And unfortunately for him, the way that he has been told that you do those things is by going through state channels, right? Become a cop, right? You want to protect people, you become a cop. Um, uh, uh, probably about a month ago at this point, maybe even more, we watched uh, the the Richard Jewell movie. Have you seen this one? Yes. Okay. So uh, you want to pull for him, right? I mean, he's a sympathetic character in the movie. He's a moron in the movie, um, but you can see where he had good intentions, right? Mm-hmm. Serve and protect security guard wants to, you know wants to be a cop because that's that's the path to achieving your goals uh, of serving and protecting and being helpful in the community it's just misguided yeah. when taken from the perspective of, of, of an anarchist I wonder how many cops in, in Hawaii thought when they're they're you know training to become a cop or you know even even when they signed up for the training to become a cop they were thinking oh when you know it's gonna be great when I become a cop I'm gonna you know write people tickets for sitting on the beach with their kids right in hawaii now it's it's illegal for people to to uh it's it's legal to be alone on the beach uh, or even hike alone which is insane right tell, it's tell dangerous to do that uh but it, but it's illegal hike with another person even if it's a person from your same household you can't even go to the beach and sit in a car with your wife the cops will come by. Oh, you you get a citation because you're 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 sitting here and you've got somebody else in the car. You're not social distancing, right? It's it's absolutely insane. And and but the cops are still doing it. It's like right. Where do these people come from? They're they're either you know too stupid to exist. Like it's uh you know we live in a simulation and we're just seeing how far we can be pushed. You know before we we murder people or you know something like that. I don't know. See, and those people are old enough and mature enough where I do not extend them the same benefit of the doubt uh, as I would extend a 17-year-old or younger. Yeah, right? true. Arbitrary, but whatever, you know? Yeah, but you, he, you, don't, you don't know what kind of cop he would he would have become. But, you're right, I but, don't. But, what, but right what, now, what, I give him the benefit <laughs> of the doubt. If he becomes a douchebag cop, right, <laughs> all bets are off. And so... But uh, what's like the mentality of the peop- the the vast majority of people who become cops? They they probably think they're good people. Yeah. And then and then once they get told, oh, you have to do this to stay a cop, they go, oh well, I'll just do this because I really want to be a cop because <laughs> I really think I'm doing. You're right. Absolutely, I get it. I, I I was friends with a security guard, you know, and you know we weren't like close friends, but we you know we hung out um, after work sometimes or whatever, and. You know, one, you know, he's like, oh, I think you're becoming a cop. I'm like, dude, don't do that. He's like, why not? It's like, you know, it's better. I go, because then we can't be fucking friends anymore, man, because then you're a cop. Like right now, you're, you're doing the Lord's work, private security, protecting private property, you know, <laughs> acting yeah. in agency of the private property owner. Uh, if you become a cop, you just, you're just, you're a cop. Yeah. And he I goes, I, 
my personal stance on it is I don't I don't care if people want to become cops, but once you do, and in the and then the the you know your your boss says, oh, you have to do a quota on tickets. Yeah. Um, just don't like let them fire you. Like it's not that big a deal. You can find other employment. Yeah. But I th- I I do think cop is one of those careers that people want to get into more than others. Um, by that, I don't think people fall into becoming a cop, right? They go like, Oh yeah, no, I, I know. But so that's what I'm saying. If it's very rare for people to, you know, beforehand know what they're, what the job entails and say, I don't agree with quotas. And so I'm going to become a cop and then not do the quotas. There's very few people that would be able to do that. And it's it's like, it's less than 1%, but um, but if, if there is an individual out there wanted to do that, fine, I don't care. Go ahead. If like, if, if, if what you want to do is, is protect private property and, and, and help people, uh, by all means, like become a cop. I don't all care. Right. Even if they're getting, you know, you know, stolen funds, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> and I would disagree with that part. Yeah, uh, I, know, because I know. Find a way to do it voluntarily and get paid for it voluntarily. Yeah. Um, we're at the end. A- any final thoughts on that or anything else? Um, nope. All right. That'll do it for us. Then you guys know where to find us. Anarchistexperience.com, telegram t.me slash anarchist experience or t.me slash the anarchist experience. And if you'd like to contribute to the show financially, you can do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash the anarchist experience. Thank you very much for listening. I will talk to y'all next week. Peace.